0: Hi, everybody. David Noor with my business partner, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. For our audience, it's good to be back with you for another episode of our weekly live stream. We call this Intelligent Growth, and the focus is, as an individual, as a team, as an organization, how do you consistently, how do you proactively, uh, dare I say, how do you predictively, Really think about your personal growth, the team's growth, the organizational or enterprise growth in an intelligent and profitable manner. So Jen and I have been a student of this idea of a customer lifecycle journey. Uh, Really for the last 18 months, we've dove deep into critical success factors in each phase of it. Uh, And the intent of these sessions, and we're live on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter, It's to not just share ideas, but I'm hoping, we're hoping you'll jump in as well with your questions, comments, and let's really help disseminate what we're thinking of, what we're seeing, the ideas, the perspectives on what it takes, particularly in the post-pandemic, you know, constantly volatile world and how to grow, how to grow personally, how to grow as a team, how to grow as an organization. Zameg is always, always reliable from Azerbaijan joining us. Hello, Zamig. Good to see you. Good to have you. So, Jen, we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts as we're also going through this exercise, which is all about branding.
1: Yes. So, uh, last week, your newest book, Relationship Economics 3, came out. It's beautiful. Mint green color. Mint green is in. (laughs) Mint green is in. (laughs) And uh, in leading up to that release and then- last week, and then carrying through to this week, we've been diving into specific topics within the book. And this week we're gonna take people through their relationship brand and their familiarity with that brand, both from a professional perspective as well as a personal perspective. So for the audience that may not have joined us in the past couple of weeks, can you give a quick overview on what relationship economics in the third edition is about and what people can learn from reading the book?
0: Sure, so uh, let's see, this has been my life's work for the last 20 years. And you've heard me talk about becoming a student of business relationships, right? If you just forget the title, forget the concept for a second, why do, A, A, we gotta stop calling it a soft skill because we've proven uh, particularly, particularly after the last three years of this global pandemic, the way you engage, the way you influence, the way you relate, the way you nurture, connections with others will be critical to your personal and professional success. So at the basic level, relationship economics is about how to turn everyday contacts into valuable business relationships. Now, I published the first edition of this book in 2008, Subsequent edition by Wiley, uh, you know, the second edition in 2012, I've had about 40% new content. This this one, I completely rewrote. I kept some of the nuggets that were battle tested, proven. We knew they worked. We had implemented them in global client companies. I took out other parts that weren't as useful. Or it's amazing. I have a mentor, so it's amazing how stupid I was two days ago, right? Just, you know, the things you learn. The hypotheses you create that are just not valid or you test them and they don't really produce the results you're after or the research and the data shows you something very differently so this completely new third edition is really for the post-pandemic world it's really about this constant state of dare i say burnout many of us find ourselves in that constant anxiety I'm being asked to do more with less. I'm being asked to do more in an uncertain economic and geopolitical environment. Um, So how do we do that? How do we identify and nurture great relationships that become impactful in our work, in our lives? And that's really what this this book is about. So the readers are going to take away what I call the elevator ride. I think the theoretical constructs are important to understand where they come from. But at some point, you gotta really think about application examples, stories that are in here, and then implementation. What do I do with it? If I'm a frontline contributor or I'm an HR professional or a project management professional or a sales or marketing professional, all the way up to a manager and leader, how do I leverage these ideas to improve the way I connect, the way I engage, the way I influence others, often without authority.
1: That all seems very applicable to today's world for sure. Um, And one of the things that comes within the book uh, are really great illustrations by our creative director, Lynn Wilson. And he's created, uh, it's the cover, there's illustrations all the way through the book that help convey some of these ideas. And one of the things that you and Lynn worked on creating were um, tactical templates, if you will, for these different ideas, so people can implement them in their day to day. So, talk about the different sections of the book specifically related to relationships and how somebody can uh, leverage them to get started with understanding their strategic relationships. No, no question. I and and thanks for pointing that out. I
0: I write books, whether it's this one or Curvebenders right before this, or you know co-create before that one. I write books the way I, I like to read them. And full disclosure for our audience, I have a bias for action. So I, I love reading about something, but at the end of the day, I'm going through the three fundamental questions. What what am I reading? Why is it important? Why is it valuable? Right. So what? How is it relevant? How can I use this? What can I go do with this? And then now what? What will I choose to Go apply, go implement, go test, go try, go share with others. So, and that's also the elevator ride that I mentioned earlier. So throughout the book, not only, you know, if you think about, I open it up with this idea of welcome to hybrid relationships. Well, we hear about hybrid work, but have you ever thought about hybrid relationships, which is your physical ones, you and I meeting in person, shaking hands, looking at each other, having a meal or coffee or, right, the in-person The the virtual or digital relationships, people we've never met, but we meet through these Hollywood squares and kind of interact with, work with colleagues, customers, vendors, and then increasingly global relationships that, you know, you have no idea how somebody on the other parts of the world are going to impact and have an influence on or be very relevant to what you're doing. And I've learned that from my involvement with Thinkers 50 or the Marshall Goldsmith MG100 community or you know, really understanding how are other parts of the world. Our way is not the only way. And increasingly that global perspective, global lens helps you better understand and really elevate your empathy versus your ego of how do other people get things done. So hybrid relationships. Then I talk about why networking is one letter away from not working and why most transactional networking doesn't work. I talk about, Growth and business relationships, big part. And obviously, that's important to us. I talked about, and we've done previous episodes on six phases of strategic relationships. And this idea of last week, we did the strategic relationship planning
1: mm-hmm.
0: and really, you know, documenting why can become a learned skill and ideally part of the culture or fabric of the organization. And what's really cool about this brand conversation and how familiar people are with your personal brand or your leadership brand is that it contributes to, as I said, your personal growth, the team's growth, the organizational kind of maturity, and it impacts your reputation and it impacts the long-term viability of your relationships.
1: Makes sense. So diving into brands specifically, uh, everybody kn- has brands that they know and love um, from, from motorcycling. I mean, you're a huge Ducati and, and BMW fan. Um, why, why did you choose those brands? Like just to sort of start surface level, like why did you choose those? And and how did you land on them as being your favorites? I I could, I could also point to you and your fly fishing (laughs) fish pond and, and, and the
0: the expensive hobby that I've gotten into in that arena as well. I don't
1: don't know anything about that.
0: Right. (laughs) So for most of us, we, we hear of a brand. Right. And, you know, if we and, and you've seen me talk about that, the, the, the experience journey, if you will, in some ways that we're always evaluating as human beings. And this is really important for the audience to understand. I want you to think of an infinity loop and at the center is evaluation. We're always evaluating different aspects of my life. Right. My car I've had for too many years. I am, you know, we're running out of room. You know, as we have, you know, a child or second child in the house we live in, Um, my clothes, you know, and again, you also you start to see there's awareness for different things. Right. So we're always evaluating. Then we start to really focus in, really hone in on combination of and it's a really discovery process. What is it that I'm looking for? What is it that I think I need? What is it that I'm looking for in that next car or that next house or that next relationship. Then we evaluate our options. I could go buy a brand new car, I could buy a used car. I could get a SUV, I can get a sports car. So there's always options. And we also have the same options in our relationships. I could work with this person in finance or really spend time with that person in marketing. I can work with this contact in our procurement, or I can work with an outside vendor to get what I need done. So we're always evaluating our options. And we come back to the center. We come back to really kind of really hone in and on what am I really focused on? What's working for me? What's not working for me? What what do I want more or less of in the relationships, in the interactions that I have and I work with on a regular basis? So that journey it seems to be an ongoing one in that, in that evaluation, in that progression, if you will. Then, and you've heard me say this, then at some point we buy. And it's not just buying products or services. We buy information. We buy credibility. We buy um, uh, believability. Jen is really knowledgeable about this RevOps space. And she knows processes like customer lifecycle journey. And she knows tech stack, like my HubSpot should be tied to my Salesforce that should be tied to our customer service environment. Then we use, we interact, we use the product. So I, I ride a BMW motorcycle and I see that it's reliable and it's got power and it's got, and I feel there's an emotional connection. I feel good about riding fast around the track or riding far with the touring bike. So as we use it, we come back to evaluation. Now we're not only familiar with that brand, we now start to build preferences. And Jen, this is exactly the same way as we interact with people. Sociologists tell us when we meet somebody else, we give a little, they take, they judge, they give a little, we take, we judge, we give a little back. Too much, too fast, and you're like, whoa, 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 dude, we just met, right? You're thinking that person is just overbearing. Too little, and you're thinking they're distant, or they're hiding something, or why are they cold? Those are layman's terms. Right. So the goal is this natural interaction as we get to know them beyond the contact, we work with them, we look for opportunities to work with them, and we see, and this is a couple of points I wanna really emphasize. We see how they show up. We see what matters to them. We observe their behaviors in those interactions. Good people, and and I learned this from, interestingly enough, a good friend and one of my clients, Bill Hogan, always assume good intent. Mm -hmm. So good people, good intent, How do they show up? Are our values aligned? Are our objectives, outcomes, desired outcomes aligned? Do we feel encouraged, supported, bolstered by being around this person? Do we feel value in interacting with this person? And that's when we make the decision of, I'm gonna be proactive, I'm gonna pursue, I'm gonna invest in, I'm gonna pour love and support into this person. Or you know what? Again, layman's terms, that person is not my cup of tea. Or you know what? I don't have time for his drama. I don't have time for her baggage. And what, there's a um, expression that you know Jennifer Bridges, longtime friend and a partner over at PD, used to go. I love her expression. It's a southern expression <laughs> for the rest of the audience that says, "If I'm not saying it, my face is showing it." And most people don't want to be confrontational. They don't want to highlight something that disappoints them. So what do they do? They, they, re, they, they just kind of disengage. They revert back to their comfort zone and the relationship ecosystem with which they feel valued and good use of their time. and And that's when they stop returning calls and emails. That's where they don't really see the value in interacting with you.
1: Makes sense. So... By defining like company brands, that's kind of an understood practice in the industry. And we all kind of understand what brands are and, and what makes them, um, what, I guess, what makes them great. And they always are trying to refine that for everybody. Um, why is it so, so for individuals, you talked about how it's important for their ecosystem and growing their relationships. Now, there's this other part of it that you mentioned in the book about um, insistence um, on capabilities and an insistence on the manner in which you build these relationships. So can you talk about the difference between just the relationships from like a technical perspective, and then also the insistence on the strategic relationships.
0: Yep, great point. So again, for the audience, if you have the book, if you don't have the book, you may want to earmark uh, page one sixty. Top of page one sixty is a is a great illustration, and again, as as Jen mentioned, Lynn Wilson is our creative director, and. What I love about working with Lynn is I tell him, Lynn, here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and he's masterful at taking all these ideas and discerning them into these great visuals. And the easiest way to describe this, this creating brand insistence is really a stair step. So if you think about, you know, you brought up you know, motorcycles or in your world, fly fishing. First thing is is we, we have to have some sort of awareness. So again, for individuals. Individuals within teams, teams within organizations, what are you doing to create awareness for your unique value add? What are you doing to create awareness for your unique skill, your approach to solving problems, your technical skills? Of you know, we've worked with law firms and that person knows more about you know IP law than anybody else. We've worked with Engineering firms, that person knows more about environmental engineering than anything anybody else, but, but they didn't get there overnight. So they create, and, and this, is, this is counterintuitive for some people because I think most of our parents taught us to be humble and practice humility. And, and we're also big believers of that. By the same token, I'm gonna reiterate something a coach, Alan Weiss, drove into me. If you don't toot your own horn, there is no music. So the reason you and I write articles, the reason we publish, I've got my next Forbes article coming out this week. And the reason we do this live stream is you got to share, you got to create awareness without wearing your eagerness on your sleeve, without, you know, promoting, without coming across as a jerk, right? Have you, have you met people who do a really good job and they want to make sure they tell you they do a really good job and they're very good at doing a good job and they...
1: In every conversation,
0: yes. Every conversation, right? It's all about them, (laughs) 365 days a year. But enough about you. Let's talk about me. So you got to create awareness. Then the next stair step is relevant differentiation. Differentiation for sake of differentiation could be, I could show up in a purple wig. How is that relevant to the needs of your target audience, target relationships? This is not a sales thing. This is how well do you understand my audience? How well am I relating to the needs of my audience? Because only when I demonstrate relevant differentiation, we all tend to bucket people anyway, right? Is that Mm person an accountant or is their attorney? Forget that the fact that there are IP attorneys for startups in the cybersecurity, they're an attorney. We bucket people so that relevant differentiation leads people to bucket you in the right bucket and really helps you people. Okay, who do I know who's an attorney first? And it goes macro to micro, right? Oh, I need an IP attorney. Oh, I need an IP attorney who understands startups and has direct and relevant experience in working with founders. You see how that kind of funnels down? So relevant differentiation. Then the next stair step is value. Does notice? I didn't say cheapest cost. I've never met anyone who's always looking for the cheapest attorney, or cheapest surgeon, or cheapest mechanic. Nobody looks for the cheapest.
1: Well, I mean, they might look for the cheapest, but it's that that triangle. You either have can have good, cheap, or quick. You only can have two of the three. You can't have all three. And 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 looking for cheapest always comes back and bites us. Absolutely. Because
0: I got the cheapest painter, and damn, we're gonna have to paint this place all over again or I got the cheapest carpenter and um, I'm pretty sure this is how they measured, you know, was it straight? I was. So what we all look for is value, which is really an investment versus, you know, the cost versus what do I perceive to be the value in return? Then is it accessibility? Is it convenient? Is it, you know, could I, could I get to an expert or could I get to someone that attorney is, you know, either pain to work with or make me jump through hoops or I've, I've never, this is more your world than mine. I've never understood companies that want to talk to my third grade teacher so I can download a position paper. <laughs> like I really, are you that desperate for my name and email that you got to put it, you got to make me jump through a bunch of hoops to get that information. And I'm not downloading anything because I'm bored. I'm downloading that position paper, white paper kind of methodology. The other thing I don't like is and you've been around me long enough fluff pieces. How often do we download? They, they sell it with a whole bunch of sizzle of this thing is kind of going to change your world. And you download it like, wait, where's the old, the old uh, I think it was Wendy's ad with the, with the older ladies. Where's the beef, right? <laughs> where, where is the meat in this paper that you promised? Because it's not actionable. I can't do anything with it. And last but not least, as I mentioned this earlier, emotional connection. Does it resonate? Does it resonate? Does it, I have. An emotional connection to BMW and Ducati that I ride because it represents me. I, I use an Apple product because it represents kind of the conveniences and the cachet in some ways. That emotional connection to me. And and so this idea of creating brand insistence, all the research, all the conversations beyond our affinity for things our affinity for experiences, we also develop an affinity for people. And that's really where I wanted to focus based on that macro level view to more micro.
1: Makes sense. And in the book, one of the things that you stress is building a preference for your technical skills, Um, because a lot of people, for example, can do RevOps work. but how easy are you to work with? Or what is your value add? Like, what is your depth of experience and or knowledge that gives you that edge over somebody else who may do similar work, like an accountant? Can they make sense out of your chicken scratch back of the napkin receipts without a whole bunch of hassle? Or do they make you jump through a bunch of hoops? So it's really that soft skill, if you will, that's not exactly a soft skill that makes people want to work with you. Is that accurate? You're exactly right. Uh, and I want
0: the audience to think about a second. Some brands we just reject, right? I, I don't like Hunt's ketchup. Sorry, as an example. I I My preference is Heinz. There's so a certain I, airline that we just... Certain airlines that will go unnamed, I I will not fly, right? Certain rental car companies, I will not use in our travels, right? So certain brands, we all do this. We reject. Certain brands, we just don't recognize. I've never heard of, right, XYZ. Other brands, and I'm going, again, up a curve. This is a spectrum, right? Other brands we recognize and have heard good things about. Ooh, I've never owned, right, that brand or driven that kind of car, but I've heard good things about them from friends, from word of mouth, from articles we've read, from reviews, from whatever, right? Next level is we start to build a preference. As we use, as we have some experience with, we build a preference. I I prefer this brand versus other options. The very pinnacle of, of this curve, of this trajectory of this spectrum is an insistence. I insist on because, right, these things. And my coaching, and you've heard me talk to leaders about this, and certainly at leadership programs, particularly if you're in a technical field, whatever that technical field is, and you brought up RevOps, right? You and I have met some really sharp RevOps people who you're right, no Salesforce, no gong, no sixth sense, no, all these tools. And yet they're really difficult to work with. Or you ask them a question and you can't get a straight answer back. Or you, they get just buried in the weeds or they can't really articulate the so what of why these things matter and how do we get the most out of them. And so my coaching to every individual, and particularly the, the listeners or the audience here, You wanna build a preference for your technical skills. And that conversation sounds like, we really want John, want preference. We really want John because he's a phenomenal project manager. If you think about project management, it's a technical skill, right, uh, predominant. Or we want Steve because unbelievable engineer.
1: Well, and sometimes that preference trumps the technical skill because they are so great to work with. Maybe they have a deficiency in I don't know, in the project management like they can't keep deadlines or they're kind of disorganized, but not in a sense that is detrimental to the project, but in a sense that other people could do it better, but they don't want other people because this guy's so great to work with.
0: I, I love it. And you're, you're, I love it. You're kind of, you're, you're head of the bus and I'm getting there. And, I and here's why, but here's why. So if I build a preference for my technical skills, they're comfortable with what I can bring that's relevant to what that manager leader team is looking for. You want to build an insistence for exactly what you said. The way that person builds relationships, the way that person treats others, the way that person influences others, those human skills, those cultural skills, those highly adaptive skills in any environment. Throw the technical skills in an uncomfortable environment, and they'll calm everybody down. It's okay. It's cool. It we're gonna breathe. We're gonna get through this. We'll work through it. And and I gotta tell you, I this this idea. Came to me years ago. I didn't get it then, full disclosure, but I get it now. Um, uh, You know I've played soccer for a lot of years, and I was a defender. And back there, the goalie is a defender's kind of best friend because they're behind you. They see kind of what's happening. And goalies who are panicked kind of create panicked defenses, right? Everything is an emergency. Oh, my God, here comes the guy in the wing. And – you know, you know, you just they're gonna they're gonna win. They're gonna they're gonna win this whole thing because goalies and other players back there who are calm, cool, collected. They communicate. They watch. They listen. They certainly support. They on the field, dude. Great job on that last run. They bolster. They they encourage. They not just collaborate, but they demonstrate a vested interest in your success. They don't, when you get scored on, they don't panic. They don't, those people make the game that much more fun, make it more, and that exact same thing happens in our offices. Cool, calm, collected, right? The way they engage, the way they nurture, the way they bring teams together, the way they present, even most difficult. Jen, I've been in meetings where, the person presenting some really bad news right we lost this much money we screwed up on this project this process broke we embarrassed ourselves in front of a client we i mean you name it i've seen it right the manner with which they carry themselves determines their altitude determines their you know mobility determines You remember so-and-so we met at that meeting or that event. They would be fantastic for this situation because not just their technical skills. We need the technical. I don't want to take anything away from that, right? You have to know RevOps. You have to know project management. You have to know engineering, right? It's it's really, again, a preference for you. But I can find other people to do that. The insistence is I want you. We have to have Beth on this team. Because she speaks not just technology, she also speaks marketing. She speaks finance. She can relate to that remote office or the warehouse and the supply chain challenges they're having. And that ability to connect at a human level is what sets everybody apart.
1: Makes sense. So in the book, we do talk about the levels of your relationship brand familiarity. And you've created a chart and, and sort of a template that people can leverage to help familiarize themselves with that and, and work through some of the initial, uh, foundation work as they learn about their strategic relationships. Can you talk about that and how somebody can leverage it in their day to day?
0: Absolutely. So just beyond talking about it, I thought I would also give you a chance and, and the audience had a chance to show this. So this is a series of exercises that are for audience, uh, We encourage you to come join us in Norgroup.com slash forum. That's our private online community. There's an RE3 launch group. This is where I share uh, unique content uh, and unique you know experiences. And uh, within this environment, we've created several exercises. So we talked, Jen and I talked about relationships, strategic relationship planning last time. You know, there's design thinking and strategic relationships. This is the one that that is most relevant to this conversation, which is, as I said earlier, at the bottom, there's some things we just, we just reject, right? There's some brands that we're not as excited about. We're not as, uh, you know, it's not as instrumental in kind of what we're trying to do. And I'm going to turn off some of these other things. So you can see the whole. So the bottom is rejection. Then the next one is kind of non-rejection. We're just kind of not aware of them. Then association recognition, we're aware of them, as I mentioned. Then there's preference that kind of comes up, and then the very top is insistence. And in this particular exercise, and we do this with, with individuals and with teams, I asked you a series of questions, which is number one, what are the behavior characteristics you associate with each of these attributes? So what, what have you observed? Relationships are 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 Big part of it is our observations of how others show up. So what behaviors do others demonstrate that you just reject? What are they doing? What are they, right? What do they do that makes you cringe? What are those manager or leader or any of your colleagues, or have you been in a meeting with a partner or in a customer when that when the other side says something like, I can't believe they just said that? Or how tone-deaf do you have to be? Or how you know, coolest do you have to be in this environment to say something like that, right? It just demonstrates poor judgment, demonstrates lack of just really understanding in your, of your audience and your surroundings. And so what are the, again, behaviors that you associate or you recognize? Preference. What, what behaviors do other people demonstrate that you have a preference for? And then certainly last but not least, insistence. Second question. How do you generally show up today and why? Now, some people say it depends. If it's a group I don't like, I'm gonna be a jerk and a half. <laughs> Conversely, if it's a group I'm trying to impress, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, my Sunday best and I'm gonna be on my best behavior. And that's why I said generally. If, if I would take all of that holistically, how would you where would you show up? Where do you consistently show up? And then third, if we asked others, How would they describe your brand? Your personal, your technical, your professional? How would they describe it? And again, how do you know? Jen, here's the other thing that people just blindly guess at this stuff. I keep coming back to how do you know? How do you know that's how you perceive? Because you can't do anything about perceptions you don't understand. You can't do anything about information you don't understand. So really critical to think through these. And then last but not least is this idea of, again, you know me, I'm a big believer of 30, 60, 90-day plans. Your personal branding plan. Where should you focus? How do you enhance? How do you amplify? How do you elevate your brand? Because that's what people are going to notice. That's what they're going to keep coming back to. That's what they're going to really value
1: in kind of how you show up so related to the question of how you how do you know um previously you've mentioned asking others and doing kind of a survey would you say that in this exercise as well you should go on what you've called before a learning a listening tour
0: that's exactly right so i'm a big believer of uh, i know this will come as a shock to you i'm a list maker Full disclosure, everybody. Hi, my name is David Norn. I'm a list maker. (laughs) Hi, David. (laughs) Yeah, make a list. Make a list of your top 10 relationships. Make a list of your top 30, top 50 relationships that you like, you trust, and you respect. And go to them and ask questions like, what do you perceive that I do exceptionally well? what do you perceive to be some of my growing edges if these are people you like and you respect and you trust hopefully they don't have to tell a problem telling you nor you are one of the most dri- I'm making this up you're one of the most driven people we know that's that well, that one happens to be true right <laughs> by the same token you have a tendency to ruffle some feathers in how you move through that topic, through the space, through that environment. Okay. I can't do anything about it if I don't know it's happening. This is, I believe, one of the biggest growth opportunities for all of us, which is not a switch, it's a dial. Dial up our self-awareness. Dial up how we show up every single day. How do you show up to every interaction? Jen, you've heard me talk about this. I deeply believe that every interaction, every interpersonal interaction, online, in person in particular, is a learning and growth opportunity. How do you show up? How do they perceive you showed up? Did you do your homework? Were you at your best before, during, after? Did you ask intelligent questions? were you open to new ideas and perspectives? Did you leave them feeling that they were better off because you were in a relationship together? And you and I talked to a lot of clients about ICP, ideal customer profile. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer of ideal relationship profiles. Is this individual, is this team, is this a company that I want to associate with. I want to build a. Now, I don't need a relationship with a guy who bags my groceries, right? There's certain things in our lives, certain individuals that are highly transactional, and that's okay. But if I'm working with someone day in and day out, if I want to call them a customer and take care of them like a customer, if I want to, if I believe that they're a strategic partner to my to my business, I'm going to prioritize them. I'm going to pour love and support into them. I'm going to demand. That likewise, they show up and they show up consistently. I'm going to give every engagement and every opportunity my best. You and I have talked to our team about things do not go out of here without our names attached to them, because that's the sign of pride of kind of what we do and how we do it and how we show up.
1: Absolutely. And uh, you've also said many times how you do everything is how how you do anything is how you do everything. And so being consistent in the way that you show up is really important to just, Uh, further reinforcing the brand that you are willing to create. So you talked about teams and developing brands within companies. Uh, One of the things that we talk about is driving intelligent and profitable growth, Mm. which a lot of times is interconnectivity of teams within a business. So how can this exercise be applicable to teams to develop either better relationships with others within their organization or helping them drive that growth in a way that is uh, profitable for everybody. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna
0: reference uh, something that a, a, a recent friend, but a very valuable friend, uh, um, Jonathan Bell at Want Branding, uh, talked uh, to us about our last Relationship Economics Summit. I, I love his definition of a brand. It's, it's, it's The branding is about two things, getting customers to buy and something that employees believe. I, I I love this. I can't I can't take credit for it. Jonathan Bell, want branding. If I bring that now to relationships, if I bring that to what people can do and hopefully take away, not just from the book, but this session and every one of our conversations, is that there's no relationship between logos. There's absolutely no relationship between buildings or org structures, it's always between individuals. And again, I, I, I'm i a coach at heart, uh, I'm an advisor. What I coach and advise people to think about is if what I perceive of you online is not aligned with who shows up, right? Uh, when we're in person. So, so online, offline, if it's not in line, you're gonna create a disconnect. Wait, that person seems really friendly and on every Zoom meeting or every, and I meet him in person and a complete jerk. Right? I, now we can all have bad days, but you see what I'm saying, it's a disconnect, right? Or that person seemed really knowledgeable and asked great questions in that meeting. And in this last Zoom, they were just full of themselves and they had all the answers. And I, again, if there's a disconnect, people are gonna get really confused about which Jekyll and Hyde is gonna show up. So get very consistent on values that are important to you, get very consistent in what you believe in. People talk a lot about organization's purpose. I think purpose is bi-directional. Does the company understand why you're there and are you crystal clear on what the company expects of you and what's their purpose? Because if again, if it's not aligned, it's gonna create friction, disconnect, and you, there's a lot you cannot control. You have to focus on the things you can control, which is you said it, how do I show up? How do I do anything? And you've, you're exactly right. I, I'm a, I'm a flag carrying advocate of this. When it comes to professionalism, when it comes to what you do professionally, how you do anything is how you do everything. And none of us are perfect. This isn't about being perfect. This is about continuous improvement. This is about version one is better than version none. This is about learning and growing through that process. But at some point, ideally, you take on less. Ideally, you do less. Ideally, you commit less. Ideally, you do fewer things, but commit to doing those fewer things exceptionally well. That's when you start to narrow who are my ideal relationship profiles who are the types of people i want to work with i want to associate with i want to be teammates with i want to work with who are the individual leaders that i believe in and i'll follow i'll go through a wall for that person or you know what that person's a jerk there's no way i'm going to do anything for them so those are the things that come into play as individuals as teams as organization when it comes to branding, and modeling the right relationship behaviors.
1: Well, I think that's applicable to almost any industry and and any profession that uh, what we call in marketing, niching down on it is really focusing on the things that only you can do really well and contribute to and and get really good at. And it's becoming a mile deep and an inch wide versus a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, And so... With that in mind, like what would you say is the key takeaway or the action item that you'd love people to see from today's episode on developing their brand familiarity?
0: So I, I again I would, and we got a great comment from a LinkedIn user that I just want to jump in and address real quick. So thanks, thanks for jumping in. I would argue you need to have an eye also toward relationships that may not be as consistent or easy because there's growth opportunities there unequivocally, yes. Um, I've, I've also, you know, probably a topic for another session, but I've also believed that a certain dose of respectful pushback is healthy. A certain dose of, uh, respectful debate is really healthy in business relationships. If I'm not at attacking the individual, you, you never attack the individual. You attack the ideas, you attack the process, you attack the, the manner, which kind of we get there. To improve it is it has got to be that good intent it has to be that uh transparency that says I, I'm, I'm asking to clarify i'm asking to ensure we put our best foot forward and and those are critical so thanks for jumping in and it says linkedin user if you're not connected to nor group if you're not following nor group it just generically linkedin says linkedin user so thank you for one, jumping in
1: one of those things is uh the healthy debate and healthy disagreement um also can help create a, a better idea. Uh, if you have a lot of people around you or working on a specific project that uh, affectionately, they're all yes people. Of, yeah, that's awesome. Like, let's keep going, whatever. And nobody's looking at poking holes in it. It's not necessarily going to be as robust as it could be. And so having somebody, maybe it's an assigned somebody of in this project, I need you to try and find the faults of what we're trying to achieve. And then that'll help you plug those gaps before you roll out whatever it is you're doing. Um, and it helps you see uh, the deficiencies that you may have been blind to before. And it and it all is within good intent. And occasionally that, that uh, healthy debate doesn't change the outcome or the direction of what you're doing, but at least you had that conversation and you evaluated it in a way that's deeper than just uh, surface level. And 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 just to build on the
0: comment from the last last person who jumped in, you know, you have an eye on towards relationship that may not be as consistent. I would try to find out why. And and I had somebody do this with me last past week, right? So we all get. That's why I said we're all a work in progress. I had someone who I consider a friend and a colleague. You know, bring up that the last time we interacted, Mia culpa, right? I, I didn't follow up. I didn't deliver on the commitments I made in that meeting, right? And, and again, it, and he said, I, I get it. You got busy. We write books. We cater to clients. We have internal challenges. Who doesn't? So build relationships who don't mind sharing that candor in your growing edges. They are not dragging your mother into it. They're not dragging your family heritage into it. They're not personally attacking you if someone says, listen, nor, you know, you're very good at what you do, but you may rub some people the wrong way. Or the way you connected with Chris or the way you dismissed Chris in the last meeting probably wasn't the brand. I love this, this phrase. That's probably not the brand that you want. That's probably not the leadership brand that you're after. That's probably not on brand for you as a leader, as a teammate, as a project lead, as whatever. And if you appeal to people's logical self-interest, our research shows this, our experience shows this, that they're much more likely to listen, hear it, hopefully internalize it, and it impacts the way they kind of show up the next time.
1: Yes. And, and it's not always an easy thing to hear or internalize, but if you go with an open mind and again, assuming good intent uh, it'll help anybody grow within their, their personal or professional. And and I want to, I want to build on that. If, if they don't,
0: number one, I, I try to stay away from unsolicited advice. Right. So, so it's just like, we all have opinions and Most most people don't care. So so, and that's something I suggest to others. Just kind of stay away from unsolicited advice. Or you could ask permission. Hey, may I, may I, may I, may I provide some input? Or can I give you some? I like the idea of and I learned this from Marshall Goldsmith, feed forward. Feedback is not as helpful as feed forward. How can you take this and in a constructive, positive way, move forward with it? So ask permission. Are you open to some coaching? Are you open to something that I observe? And most people who benefit genuinely value personal and professional growth would say yes they may not and you said it it's really hard to hear who 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 likes being told you screwed up or you didn't do something well or and 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 you and i attend the same church and and our pastor right now is talking about words have you know they're weighty and they matter and right who doesn't you know who gets excited about being told that you you screwed that one up right so It's it's difficult, always difficult to hear. Yet that's where professional maturity comes from. That's where that growth mindset comes from. That's where I genuinely want the best version of me to show up consistently, because I know it's there. And I want to tap into it with the right skills, the right behaviors, the right relationship ecosystem that that bolsters me towards greater success, not anchors me or drags me down. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm better off because of these people.
1: Absolutely. So wrapping up uh, our next episode is actually going to be about predictive analytics and relationship intelligence, which oh. should be a really great topics topic. And uh, David and I will dive deeper into that next week. Uh, just as a reminder, you can join us in the forum it's norgroupcom slash forum. It's our private online community that other Leaders and executives are there and having conversations about these topics that we talk about, but then also other challenges that they may be presented with in their own businesses. So if you're not part of the forum, please join us there. And you can watch the replay of this on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. We also turn it into a podcast. So if you listen on Spotify or Apple um, and all the resources that we presented today will also be available in the forum. And David's book, Relationship Economics, uh, is available now. And so if you are interested in learning more about this topic or any of the things that we've learned, talked about previously, uh, they are all in that book and uh, it's available now wherever you buy books. So we thank you for joining us and we hope you tune in next week at noon Eastern for another episode of Intelligent and to intelligent growth live. Um, and on behalf of my business partner, David, uh, we thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks everybody. See you
1: next time. All the best. Bye-bye.